Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. Okay, so just a little bit of a programming note up front here, and that is I'm moving away from the five-day-a-week show schedule. The show was never meant to be five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday. It was only supposed to be twice a week, and there's a lot of reasons why I ended up going to a daily show. A lot of it had to do with the election, the election fallout, and then I just kind of got stuck in that mode of, oh, wow, everybody wants to hear more. Everyone wants to hear more, so I got to keep producing, keep producing. And it kind of took away a little bit from the show, I think, because here it is, I'm trying to go out and produce daily episodes when really what the show was supposed to be about was the big picture view, not the nuances day to day, the play by play, you know, the every little update to every little story, but more of the big picture and the concepts, what it means and where we are going. And that was the original intention rather than the whole, okay, I got to produce an episode every day. So I'm just going to find a couple of things, hope it's interesting enough and just post something just to post something. And with everything that's going on right now, as I examine the political field, it's all just the same few stories with just slight progressions throughout it. And so I think this is the perfect time for me to start going back to that two-day-a-week episode. Now, I'm not going to cut you off right away. So starting next week, I'm going to scale it down to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I'll eventually start getting it down to two days a week. Now, another reason for this is because there are a lot of things that I want to accomplish that I'm not going to be able to while I am producing an episode five days a week, You know, both personally and professionally. So for instance, I plan on being able to go through and get a book or two written before the end of the year, get them published. I'm not sure, you know, whether or not I'm going to be able to get a book on politics published by the end of the year. And just so you know, I also have other podcast shows that I do, and I'm going to be writing books for those podcast shows. So trying to produce a daily episode while trying to write a couple of books at the same time, is very time-consuming and doesn't give me the ability to do everything that I need in order to make sure I provide you the best, most entertaining and informative show that I can. Beyond just writing books that I plan on selling, another reason is I have several other businesses that are kind of starting to take a bit of a hit as I'm not able to go off and put in the effort needed there you know, such as sales on eBay, sales on Amazon and such. I mean, my wife has been a real trooper going off and making up uh, for my time away from there and getting everything ready, packaged, shipped, all of that. And while we go through and we source the materials together, but it's really being a strain on her as I have been putting so much effort here. And so I'm going through uh, with that. So writing books, keeping up uh, with all of the sales, taking some of the pressure off of my wife who has really picked up the slack while I've been going through and doing this show. And then also wanting to be able to spend more time with the family with everything that's been going on, producing these shows, keeping up with the other businesses, my wife keeping up uh, with eBay and all of that while I'm producing the show, writing books and all of that, that we feel like our kids are starting to suffer a little bit of uh, from neglect here. And if I have to choose between my audience and my family, my family is going to win every single time. So all of that is just to say, yes, I'm going to be cutting back on the episodes as I gradually go back towards 
the twice a week show schedule. And that way I can accomplish, you know, the books that I need to get written before the end of the year, keep up with all of my other businesses and be able to provide or not provide, but be able to be there for my family. So I hope you understand. So with that said, you know, the show is not going to be about the daily news and the day-to-day play-by-play, but it's going to be more about the overarching themes, the big picture, you know, what this means for the country and what it is we can do in order to preserve our country and fight back against the authoritarians of the Democrat Party trying to destroy the country and take away our freedom. Okay, with that said, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. Now, the left is freaking out about all of the pushback against critical race theory. They've tried everything to try and shut down this movement against critical race theory, trying to say, oh, it's just a bunch of white supremacists. Oh, critical race theory is about history, which is a lie. Critical race theory is about reimagining history and going through a system of basically omissions, omitting a lot of key facts about history in order to push their narrative. Now, I'm not going to cover all of that yet again on this show, but a lot of their history is rewritten, edited, and omits key facts. Then they've tried to go off and say, well, no, no, no one's actually teaching critical race theory. Of course, they go through and they can't decide what message to go on. But the effectiveness of those pushing back against critical race theory and the reason why it's effective is because when you take a look at those school board meetings, you notice that it's not just white parents or white males who are going to the school board, which they on the left wish it was so that they can claim this was all racism and white supremacy. But no, you see women, you see black uh, fathers, black mothers, Hispanic fathers, Hispanic mothers, Asian mothers, Asian fathers. I mean, it's across all racial and demographic groups. And so it's kind of hard to cast this as a white supremacy issue or a system of racism when it's parents of all uh, races and of both genders going off and pushing back against critical race theory. And because the school boards cannot go through and defend critical race theory, the teachers unions are now trying to fund some opposition research to attack the critics of critical race theory. You know, if you can't defend your position, attack the people attacking the position. And they're going to try and sling mud and try to, you know, basically get people to shut up because as far as the left is concerned, you have no authority or control over your kids. The state owns your kids. And that's why the school boards are doing everything that they can to shut up the parents, silence them, have them arrested, and basically close the school board meetings because the school board believes that they're the ones who are the real parents of the kids. That while you think that the school is just there to teach the basics, reading, writing, and math, the school thinks, no, 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 we are the ones that teach your kids about life and what morals they should have growing up and so on and so forth. You parents, all you do is you give birth to them, feed and shelter them, and then school does the rest. And the parents are like, no, 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 no. You got this backwards. You're just supposed to provide the basics of reading, writing, and math. And then we teach them about life. We teach them about morality. We teach them the principles of our household. And so there's this conflict that is growing that is a bigger conflict besides just critical race theory itself, which is a horrible garbage theory. But the bigger context here is who 
is the one that actually raises the kid, the parents or the state, the parents or the school? Who's the one that actually is supposed to be the ones raising the kids, teaching them how to be good model citizens? And that's where it goes through. And this is about individuality. This is about our society as a whole. Do we as parents have any say in our kids' education and moral upbringing, or are the children the property of the state? And that's what we are getting to here. And that's why the left is freaking out, because they want to have unchallenged control over your kids to tell them whatever it is they want to tell them that will lead to them growing up and voting Democrats so that they can finally overthrow the Constitution and implement their authoritarian rule. Well, the effects of the pushback against critical race theory, and this is interesting, uh, from, the, from some data here, is that public school and kindergarten, or public preschool and kindergarten enrollment drops 13% nationally. Finding out that they are teaching this garbage all the way down to preschool and kindergarten has parents going, you know what? The law doesn't actually require me to send them to school this early you know, to send them to preschool and kindergarten and so forth uh, this early. And if this is the garbage they're going to teach them, I'm going to delay enrolling them in school as long as possible so that I can instill moral values. Now, the issue uh, at heart here is kids are very vulnerable. You know, they want to be able to please. They want the congratulations. They want the acceptance. So they'll regurgitate and repeat whatever the teacher tells them to. This is also why you get so many young kids, you know, in uh, grade school coming out and trying to claim that they are transgender because they don't actually believe that, you know, this young boy doesn't actually believe that he is a woman. He just believes that's what the teacher wants him to believe. And he just wants to please the teacher. And so they are forcing this whole transgender movement onto the kids, knowing that the kids will just accept it and claim to be part of it in order to be accepted and praised and given cakes and cupcakes and coming out parties and all of that. So the parents are keeping their kids out of the public school system at larger numbers so that they can spend more time with their kids to try and insulate them or prepare them for the lies and the propaganda that they are going to be encountering in the public school system. So the article goes on to read, public school enrollment in 2020 through 2021 fell by 3% nationally compared to a year earlier, according to preliminary data from the U.S. Department of Education National Center and Education Statistics, with pre-K and kindergarten jointly seeing a sharp 13% drop. The stark numbers represent the largest year-over-year decline in enrollment since the start of the century, with the drop concentrated among the youngest levels The NCES figures show that pre-K alone saw a 22% decrease. Kindergarten enrollment fell by 9%. Grades 1 through 8 experienced a 3% drop. So more and more people are turning to alternative education system. You know, whether that is private schools, online schools, or as my family opted for, homeschooling. So we get to be able to spend more time, which by the way is another reason why I'm scaling back to the two-day-a-week uh, uh, show is because I have some classes that I need to teach the kids in homeschooling. I like to go through and teach the history classes, 
uh, personal finance, and economic classes. And yes, my kids are in grade school. You know, they're in the elementary school level, and I'm teaching them th- those things. So I'm also teaching them, of course, religion and so forth. But more and more parents are doing this. And so as we go through and we take a look at critical race theory and we take a look at what the Republicans are doing to fight back against critical race theory, we notice that governors are going out, of course, signing bills, banning critical race theory from being taught in school. And they think they've actually accomplished something. They, what they failed to realize is that they need to go through and take a look at the textbook and be able to eliminate or ban textbooks that use critical race theory as its founding narrative in the history, civics, and social studies classes. But we also need to go through and expand school choice. Now, they think, okay, yeah, you have school choice, and there you go. You can send the kids. But if you exercise school choice and take your kids out of the public school, well, you got to fund it out of your own pocket. I mean, if you keep the kids in the school, the state will pay for it in the public school. But if you search out an alternative school, all of a sudden the state doesn't provide any funding for your kids. Now, some of them will say, well, there's vouchers. Yeah, well, we can have a conversation about that. But what they really need to do is say, hey, you know what? We believe in school choice that we are going to go through and we're going to let the dollars follow the student. Whether the student goes to private school, online school, or homeschool, the dollars are going to follow the student. I mean, do you know what parents can do with the dollars following the students in homeschool? If the parents who homeschooled their kids got the same funding per child that the public schools would get if they put them in the public schools, what the parents could do? I mean, if you take a look at situations like with me and my family, we've sacrificed one source of income when we went on to homeschooling. My wife you know, dropped out of full-time work and just works on the weekend, right? And then Monday through Friday is where I put in most of my work while she leads most of the homeschool classes. We've had to sacrifice income that she could have made. Yes, I know we also do a lot of online businesses uh, and all of that, and that really just took off at the beginning of the coronavirus with all of the lockdowns. But even at that, you know, she has gone down to just weekend work where she goes off and she teaches classes Monday through Friday. I teach a couple of classes Monday through Friday, you know, now that I do almost all of my work from home and we pay for it out of our own pockets, 100%. And yet we're able to provide a superior level of education for our kids than what they were getting with the public school. You know, their reading has drastically increased. Their math skills have drastically increased, so on and so forth. And that's us sacrificing income and paying out of our own pocket. If we got the same amount of money per child, as what they would get in the public schools, man, the level of education and all of the things that we could do for them would make even the most elite private school look like a public school in Detroit. That's how good and superior homeschooling is. And I will never understand these governors who want to go out there and say, okay, we'll do school choice, but the dollars won't follow the kid. So it's like, wait a minute, you're saying that you stand for Republican values that you are against indoctrination in the schools, but you're only willing to provide funding for education for liberals to indoctrinate our kids. Only if we send them to the public school where Democrats can indoctrinate and gaslight our children. But if we choose to get them out of the 
left-wing indoctrination camps because they're not education systems anymore. They're not actual schools. Schools require that there's actual education going on, and that's not what the schools are doing at this particular point in time. So you, so you Republican governors, if the only way you're providing education funding is for the kids to be sent to the public schools where the Democrats can gaslight the children, but you're not willing to provide that same funding for parents to pull their kids out of that public school system and find an alternative education system for them, then you are not really standing up for any Republican ideas or doing anything effective to fight back against the left. You are actually funding the left. You're actually funding the left as the left and their indoctrination camps, formerly known as schools, are the only ones getting the education dollars. You're funding it. And then you're punishing parents for getting their kids out of the left-wing indoctrination camp. And this is why I'm thinking about making a run for public office. Now, it's just a matter of what office to run for. I initially thought that I was going to run for the U.S. Senate, and therefore, I could go through and write legislation to be able to fix a lot of the problems, be able to give parents more choice, help to strengthen the Constitution, and roll back the left-wing tyrants, basically all the way back to the beginning, where they have where all of their encroachments on the Constitution and all of that is taken back, you know, undone. But after discussing with my wife, she has made it very clear that there is no way, shape, or form that she would ever agree to raise our kids anywhere near Washington, D.C., which, if I got elected running for the Senate, our only two choices would be either she moves uh, the kids to Washington, D.C. or in the surrounding area, because that's where I'm going to be primarily located and doing my work so that we would be able to see each other every day. Or she doesn't move, and then we spend the vast majority of the year apart, and my kids almost never see me. Well, she's unwilling to raise the kids anywhere near D.C., and I'm not willing to basically abandon my family to serve in the U.S. Senate. So I'm going to be looking at other offices in which I can run for. And what I'm taking a look at here is either the state house or state senate, or maybe even the governorship itself. I don't know. I'm taking a look at that or whether I should do something more local, you know, city council or whatever. But in the end, what I think here is I want to go for the highest possible office where I can do the most good. And the state capital is not far away from uh, where I live. I mean, I've made that commute. Uh, every day for about 10 years until I had left my you know, actual uh, employer to go ahead and work for myself. So I made that commute, you know, round trip. It's not very long. So, you know, going for the state Senate, state house, governor, that would not be that big of a leap or a jump or require that much of a sacrifice with my family. So that is good. And so I'm going to be going through and taking a look at that. And if I get in there, I'm going to be pushing to have the textbooks of the schools examined and ban the textbooks that use critical race theory as its founding principles or narrative, and then expand school choice, at least for in my state, for the education dollars to follow the student. But all of this is to say that the pushback against critical race theory is fierce. It is real. It is grassroots. And it is having a major impact as more and more parents are 
taking their kids out of the public schools. And homeschooling is becoming more and more popular. And parents right now across the board are spending this time over the summer taking a look at their finances, their careers, their schedules, and trying to see whether or not they could work out a way in order to be able to pull their kids out of the public schools, whether that is to private schools or whether they're going to do homeschooling themselves. And you can still do homeschooling and have full-time jobs. You, you can uh, do that. You can have, um, in a lot of situations, you can have one parent who works you know, the day shift, another parent who works uh, the night shift, and uh, you can have, you know, switch off of the levels, or you can have both parents who work full time during the day and then do their schooling and education with the kids at night after work. I mean, I get it. You're making a lot of sacrifices and you're going to be giving up a lot of play time, a lot of TV watching time, and but you're making those sacrifices for the betterment of your child. And so there are a lot of parents across the board who are having these conversations and trying to figure out what they can do with their current work and finances to get their kids out of the public education system. And as more and more parents are doing that, the left is freaking out because as people are going to more alternative options, alternatives to the the public schools, the left's dominance of the education system is being weakened. Their control over the narratives and the ability to lie to the kids growing up is being weakened, and they can't have that. I mean, right now, the numbers are still at such that it's not going to make too much of an impact at over the course of the next 20 years or the next 30 years or 40 years. I get that. But if these numbers continue to increase at the pace at which they are, then that does start to have an impact. And you can end up in a situation where you got a 50-50 split in education where only half the kids are educated and gaslit by the public education system that the Democrats control. And then you got kids who get real education by going through alternatives to the public school. And the people who are going through the alternatives are smarter, more emotionally well-adjusted, and just do better. And yeah, there's a lot of what, a lot of possible outcome of all of this. And there's a lot of discussion about what that could lead to, where you have two different education systems, the public school and then all the alternatives and how those going through all the alternatives get a better education. What does that mean? And if those who go through the alternative are in smaller numbers than those in the majority, well, does it really matter? You know, does it really matter that you have 30% of the population very well educated if the other 70% have been lied to, gaslit, and are running for leadership roles who don't have a damn clue what the hell they're talking about. I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see how all of this continues to develop. Now, as important as critical race theory and the fight against critical race theory is, it's not the only issue in which conservatives are fighting back against the left, and the left is freaking out. See, there's a whole-on rebellion uh, that is going on, if you want to call it a rebellion, against the left's attempt to basically overthrow democracy and our Constitution, and that is also in part being waged with regards to illegal immigration, and the left is freaking out about it. See, Joe Biden and the Democrats thought that they could just declare open borders once they are in office, and with that, they are allowing hundreds of thousands of people into the country on a monthly basis, 
And then they are going through and trying to send them all to Republican states. Because the idea here is that they're going to try and pack Republican states with a lot of illegal immigrants and then try to pass an amnesty plan before the 2022 election. You know, if you can't get the voters to vote for you, change the voters, which is what the Democrats are engaged in. So ultimately what the plan is, is to try and bring in as many illegal immigrants as possible, send them to red states, and then pass amnesty so that they can vote for Democrats in the next election. That's how the Democrats plan to try and retain power in 2022. Well, Republicans have decided, no, we're not going to go through with this. We're not going to allow them to do this. And so now a left-wing Latino activist group, according to Fox News, alleges states sending law enforcement to border are engaging in an insurrection. An insurrection. So wait a minute. We have federal laws on the books. Those laws are being violated. States are sending law enforcement officers along with National Guard units in order to help enforce the law passed by Congress and somehow enforcing the law is an insurrection. I'm not sure where they are getting that or how they're trying to make that leap here, but they're hoping no one calls them out on their bullshit so that they could try and undermine any attempts to enforce federal immigration laws. And so the League of United Latin American Citizens. Now, okay, the League of Latin American Citizens. All right, well, what are you even doing in this fight? Because illegal immigrants are not citizens. They have no citizenship. Their very presence in the country is illegal because they broke the laws in order to get into the country. And by the way, Joe Biden violating federal immigration laws in order to simply declare open borders is a breaking of his oath of office. And as a result, that is an impeachable offense. I mean, we could go off about the election, how corrupt it was, how fraudulent it was, you know, how it was conducted illegally and unconstitutionally, along with all the uh, voter fraud that took place. But at this point, even that becomes mute because Joe Biden has engaged in a lot of impeachable offenses act, you know, violating federal laws, violating his oath of office, undermining the United States and acting against the interests of the United States, that is very much impeachable. And Republicans should be running on impeachment and point out all of the illegal things that this illegitimate fraud in the White House has done. But now they're trying to go off and basically try to pretend like illegal immigrants are citizens. All right. Anyways, the League of United Latin American Citizens is calling on President Biden to stop governors of several states from sending law enforcement officers and National Guard members to the southern border, except for Biden doesn't have any such authority to stop them. And to go off and say, hey, we're not going to allow people to illegally enter into the country and illegally reside within our state. I mean, these states should be going through, and if they can't um, deport these people, then they should go ahead and relocate them to the leftist state is what they should be doing. You know, arrest them and then, you know, for being in the country illegally and then send them off to leftist states or pass laws in their own state saying that it is illegal for, you know, them. Uh, well, it sh already should be illegal. Uh, I believe it already is illegal, but for some reason it's violating. But basically anybody who had crossed the border illegally cannot be legally hired for anything in that state, that any employer who employs someone who entered the country illegally you know, will, shall be fined 
for employing them. I mean, that that's some of the things that they can do in order to stop illegal immigration. Just make sure that regardless of what the White House does, these people are unable to get any employment within that state. So anyways, in a letter sent to the White House on Sunday, the LULAC national president, Domingo Garcia, called out Texas, Arizona, Nebraska, Idaho, Florida, and South Dakota for sending personnel to the border, claiming that it was an insurrection by a group of states improperly using their resources. It's improper to use their resources to enforce the law. Hmm. President Biden, as the commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and the militia of the several states, you have the authority to prevent this usurping of federal powers by few re- uh, by a few rebellious states. Uh, sorry, uh, the letter said, if you cannot stop this additional insurrection, we request that you deploy federal troops to defend the rights and lives of Hispanic Americans on the border. All right, so there's a few big problems here. One, um, the president is not necessarily the commander-in-chief of the militia. Uh, now, I know people want to go commander-in-chief and all of that, but uh, remember, the militia is just the average citizen, and he's only the commander-in-chief so long as he's actually following the laws or at least following the Constitution. But the militia is also there to keep the president and the government in check such that if they were to engage in unconstitutional um, actions and try to overthrow democracy, the militia is there to overthrow those tyrants. So just to let you know about that, uh, for one thing. Now, as far as commander-in-chief you know, of the National Guards, I, I believe the National Guard is under the authority of the states and the governors. Now, yes, I get it, you know, could be commander-in-chief, you know, so on and so forth. But we got to really understand the commander-in-chief role a little bit more. But what is interesting here is how he's going off and trying to say, save the lives of Hispanic Americans on the border. But the militia, you know, the law enforcement officers and the National Guard, they're not being deployed to interfere or do anything regarding Hispanic Americans. They're being deployed to prevent illegal immigrants, you know, Ecuadorians, um, Mexico, and all of uh, Brazil from their people crossing the border illegally, violating our laws. They are not American citizens. If they were, they wouldn't be illegal immigrants. They wouldn't be crossing the border illegally. So there, you see here what the narrative that they are trying to push is, is that everyone south of us is now just as much a citizen as those who were born and raised in the United States, that everybody in countries south of us is just as much a citizen as those who had legally immigrated to the United States and legally gained citizenship status. So now they're trying to basically go off and say that it's an insurrection because everybody you know, to the south of the United States is a citizen of the United States and can freely cross the border seems to be the narrative here, which is just completely wrong. And so they're freaking out that we are actually trying to say, hey, the violation of federal immigration laws will not stand. And they're trying to say that an attack on illegal immigration is an attack on American citizens, and that it's somehow an insurrection to enforce federal immigration laws. Hmm. 
just kind of see how twisted and warped they are. See how they can go through and nothing that they say in any way, shape, or form needs to even match reality, data, fact, anything that they can just make it up 100% as they go, just talking out of their ass and just throw around whatever words sound nice. And so many on the left will just go along with it like a bunch of clapping seals going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Such imbeciles. Okay, now going along here, there's a couple of stories that I want to get to that are very scary. And it kind of goes along with what I touched upon with critical race theory, where the left view is that while you feed, clothe, and shelter the kids, the kids are actually the property of the state and that they determine how the kid is going to be raised, moral values, and that they're the, the state is the parents and you're just the temporary housing shelter. All right. So from reason.com, after a false abuse allegation, child services took this mom's three children away. All right. Now, this is scary how the state can just go off and take kids away without having to prove anything whatsoever. And it really goes to show that the, the power of the states are getting to be too much. So Patty Kruger uh, is a stay-at-home mom in Decatur, Illinois. Her husband is a house painter. Uh, the couple's second son, Wyatt, was born in 2017 with severe breathing difficulties. He was blue, says Kruger. Wyatt spent nine days in neonatal intensive care. Over the next two years, his breathing problems necessitated oxygen treatment, tubes in his ears, and four surgeries, according to Kruger. Some of his treatments were at a nearby hospital in Peoria. Many hospitals today have a child abuse pediatrician, a doctor on contract with Child Protective Services. Their job is to be on the lookout for child abuse, including abuse other doctors may have missed. <laughs> You're already starting to see a problem here. Uh, while the they abbreviated uh, CAP, the child abuse pediatrician, at the hospital never met Kruger or worked directly with Wyatt. She reviewed his file and accused the mother of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. In other words, causing or faking a child's illness to get attention. So here it is. Somebody who's never met with the family, never met with the child, just reviewing a file here and just deciding, oh, this is uh, child abuse and trying to fake a child's illness. I mean, this is how stupid this is getting. How can you go off and try and say you're faking a child's illness and without n never once visiting the child, examining the child, and never once examining or visiting with the parents, you just take a brief glance at the at the records and just go, oh, yes, okay, yes, uh, we're just going to declare this child abuse. What? You know, uh, this CAPS report was all it took for Illinois Department of Child and Family Services to put in place a safety plan to remove Kruger's kids. These plans do not require any kind of court order because essentially the family agrees to it. Now, they only agree to it on the pain of potentially having no say in what happens next to their kids. So they either agree to the plan and therefore they get to still have some contact with the kids and have some say in what's going on, or they don't agree and the kids are just ripped away and they're never allowed to see the kids again, which is how they're getting around the court order. Either you agree to this or you will never 
ever see your kids again in any way, shape, or form. Well, you know, we understand that how that fear of never being able to see your kids would allow parents to agree to having the state take away their kids for most of the time, but still having some visitation right. I mean, this is sick. This is sad what is happening, all right, what the state is doing. All right. Thus, in March of 2019, when Wyatt was two years old and back in the hospital, Kruger's husband and mother-in-law were in the room when the DCFS workers and four armed police officers arrived and ordered them out. They were not allowed back in. Wyatt was alone there for four days while DCFS arranged for foster placement, according to Kruger. So, I mean, think about this. They have no evidence of anything. They just have someone who never saw the child, never treated or examined the child, no one who has ever met the parents, going off and creating a report, and then all of a sudden, you know, the parents are kicked out uh, of the hospital room, and the child is being arranged for foster placement. This is unbelievable, unbelievable abuse of power here. And what do you, And think about the damage that this is having on the kid being taken away from his lovely parents from his loving parents, just trying to provide for the best for their kid, being placed into foster care, where potentially he's going to be denied medical treatment that he needs for his condition, could die in foster care, and die thinking that his parents were horrible people who abandoned him. I mean, if they go off and they place his kid in the foster care, and he has another episode where he can't breathe, and the foster care doesn't take them to the hospital because they're told, oh, this isn't real, and that kid dies, what are the consequences to the state? Oh, well, our bad. We're sorry. You, you know, your kid's dead because we're a bunch of idiots, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Now, the DCFS also came for Wyatt's older brother, age three. He had never been away from uh, his parents before, but that's not all. Kruger was also pregnant with their third son at the time, DCFS took him away four hours after she gave birth. Four hours. So they took one, this all started because some dumbass thinks he can make a diagnosis without ever actually seeing somebody, takes, the kid, takes that kid away to potentially deny him life-saving medical treatment, takes another kid away who didn't have any problems, any medical conditions, and just take him away from his parents, and then take away the newborn infant child only four hours after birth, and they're and they have no basis for any of their claims in which they are going by to do all of this. All right, the family spent 467 days apart. It took an incredible amount of time and money to piece together the evidence that they were not guilty of abuse. In this, they were helped by the Family Justice Resource Center, an Illinois nonprofit founded by Michael Widener. Now, it's great that they eventually got through this and proved that the claims of of, of abuse were 100% false, and they got their kids back, but they were separated for over a year, you know, 467 days for about a year and a half, um, you know, roughly. And then they were able to prove that all of the claims were 100% false. But then the question becomes, what, what recourse do they have? I mean, what punitive actions can they take against the state for fraudulently taking away their kids 
under false claims, under false pretenses. The, I, I mean, there, there's, I mean, yes, it's great that it has a bit of a happy ending here and all of that, but at what point has the state become too abusive, too drunk with power, and too incompetent? Now, I get it. The state wants to go off and say, hey, all of this is set up to protect the kids. Well, how is it protecting the kids, ripping them away from their parents for no reason because some lazy dumbass who clearly wasn't even interested in doing their job right decides to just rip kids away from their parents just on a whim, just because he, they have the authority to do so? And what repercussions is there against that doctor who created a report just making it up out of thin air? I mean, what repercussions are there for that doctor? Is he going to be fired? Can he be sued? Can the state be sued for wrongfully taking the kids away and denying them nearly a year and a half of time together, time that they will never get back? You know, the, the baby, when they got him back, is about a year and a half old away and spent that time away from his mother. And now by the time he gets back to see his mother, his mother's basically a stranger to him at 18 months. And think about what the mother missed out on. Potentially the first, you know, uh, rolling over, the first crawling, the first steps, maybe even the first words. Hearing that child calling somebody else mother because that's who they spent the most time with. The pain. There has to be repercussions for shit like this for abuse of power by the states. The state's ability to take kids away from their parents needs to be severely limited. They need to be able to provide undeniable proof before they can just start ripping kids away from the parents all willy-nilly just because they have an opinion, an opinion based on no actual observation or investigation. Nothing. This is sickening, and it gets even worse. And now here is where it gets really scary really quickly. So remember, the last story was just to set up what they are ultimately going for, what it is that they are trying to do in order to take your kids away from you. And that is with the transgender movement, because they are setting it up whereby just the mere allegation of child abuse without any evidence means that the state can come in and take your kids away. Well, now they are moving towards saying that if you do not support transgenderism, and do not support transitioning your own kids, you know, with puberty blockers and so forth, if they claim to be trans or not even claim to be trans, but if the doctor just says, oh, their whole issue is that they're actually trans and you don't immediately agree to put them on puberty blockers and stuff, then they're going to declare that child abuse, take your kids away, and then put your kids on puberty blockers for you. Wow. That is that is the scary situation that we are headed towards. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, check out the, uh, this story here from cityjournal.org. Ahmed is a Pakistani immigrant, a faithful Muslim, and until recently, a financial consultant to Seattle's high-tech sector. But when he reached me by phone in October 2020, he was just one more frightened father. Days earlier, he and his wife had checked their 16-year-old son into Seattle's Children's Hospital for credible threats of suicide. Now Ahmed was worried what the white coats, who had gently admitted his son to their care, would refuse to return him. Oh boy. They sent in an email to us, you know, you should take your daughter to the gender clinic. Daughter? He admitted his son. What daughter? All right. 
The article continues. At first, Ahmed, whose name has been changed to protect the name of a minor child, assumed there had been a mistake. He had dropped off a son, Said. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, to the hospital in a terrible state of distress. Now the email he received from the mental health experts used a new name for that son and claimed he was Ahmed's daughter. They were trying to create a customer for their gender clinic, and they seemed to be absolutely wanting to push us in that direction. Now, when I spoke to him again this May, recalling the horrors of late October, we had calls with counselors and therapists in the establishment telling us how important it is for him to change his gender because that's the only way he's going to be better out of suicidal depression. Now, it should be pointed out, uh, and it does go through this in the article, that the son is a straight-A student, but he's on the autism spectrum, which means he is susceptible to ideas constantly being pushed in his direction, and that with the school closures and COVID-19, he was spending a lot of time on the internet, and the internet that was pushing all these transgender influencers, which is to those on the autism spectrum, like introducing cocaine to those who have an addictive personality. In fact, there are plenty of experts who um, have mentioned, and it was documented in this article, that you know, with transgenderism, those who have you know uh, autism and on the spectrum of autism is susceptibly are more susceptible to this whole transgender ideology and can be made to believe or internalize that, especially when it's not just influencers, but doctors who are trying to push this on to them. All right. So the article continues. Because of a COVID-19 policy, Ahmed could not stay at the hospital with his son back in October. Saeed, in a sleep-deprived and confused state, furious at his parents who had admitted him, and in consultation with hospital staff and a social worker, decided that his problem was gender. The age at which minors in the state of Washington can receive mental health and gender-affirming care without parental permission is 13? Wow, that is sad. In other words, the emails Ahmed received from the hospital were effectively a courtesy. The hospital did not require Ahmed's permission to begin his son on a path to medical transition. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Starting at the age of th 13, the kids, for whatever reason, can just decide that, oh, they're born in the wrong gender body, and the state and the hospital can start going off and puberty blockers and medical transitions without any parental consent or any parental information, and you as a parent are not allowed to have any say in that? and that they are targeting those who are most vulnerable because they have other mental health conditions, such as autism, in which they can be led into believing something or pressured into believing something, and they're susceptible to it. And this is horrifying, what we are seeing here. Now, the article continues. But unlike some other parents I would later speak with, Ahmed kept a cool head. Believing he might be walking into a trap, Ahmed reached out to both a lawyer and a psychiatrist friend he trusted. The psychiatrist gave him advice that he believed saved his son, saying in Ahmed's words, you have to be very, very careful because if you come across as just a little bit anti-trans or anything, they're going to call the Child Protective Services 
on you and take custody of your kid. And the lawyer told Ahmed the same. What you want to do is agree with them and take your kids home. When the gender counselor advises you to affirm, go along with it. Just say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Then uh, let's take them home and we'll go to the gender clinic. Ahmed assured Seattle's Children's Hospital that he would take his son to a gender clinic and commence his son's transition. Instead, though, he collected his son, quit his job, and moved his family of four out of Washington. Good for him. Good for him. Was Ahmed's reaction extreme? When I first heard it back in October 2020, I wondered whether he hadn't overreacted. But as a growing number of parents began contacting me with similar stories, I looked into the state laws of Washington, Oregon, and California and came to a different conclusion. Taken individually, no single law in any state completely strips parents' rights over the care and mental health treatment of their troubled minor teen. But pieces uh, together, laws in California, Oregon, and Washington place troubled minor teens as young as 13 in the driver's seat when it comes to their own mental health care, including gender-affirming care, and renders parents powerless to stop them. Here, for instance, are the powers granted to a 13-year-old child by the state of Washington. Minor age 13 and up are entitled to admit themselves for inpatient or outpatient mental health treatment without parental consent. Health insurers are forbidden from disclosing to the insured parents sensitive medical information of minor children, such as that regarding gender dysphoria and gender-affirming care. Minors aged 13 to 18 can withhold mental health records from parents for sensitive conditions, which include both gender dysphoria and gender-affirming care, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it continues to go on, but here's what we have from the two stories to sum this up is that a doctor with absolutely no evidence of abuse can just make a claim that you are abusing your child without ever having seen or examined or even spoken to your child, without ever having seen or spoken to you, the parent, and just make the claim and the kid can be taken away. Also, at the same time, in a lot of these states, is that if you don't go through with gender transitioning, that if you admit your child to uh, the hospital or they have to go to the hospital, you know, especially for mental health reasons and in any state of confusion or, you know, or whatever, they even slightly hint at, you know, trying at, you know, transgenderism or even worse, if the doctor preying on these kids tries pushing them towards the idea of transgenderism and they even give the slightest millimeter, then what they're going to say is your kid is trans, you must put them on puberty blockers and send them to the gender clinic. And if you don't, then that's going to be considered child abuse and your kids are going to be taken away. That is horrifying. I mean, think about that for a moment. They are threatening to take away your kids if you do not abuse them, inject them with a bunch of puberty blockers and try to change them into something that they're not. These aren't medical professionals. This is the state going through and abusing kids and abusing kids while trying to claim that they are trying to prevent abuse. These are the state engaging in practices, destroying the mental health of kids under the guise that they are trying to protect mental health. What the Democrats and the left have done here is horrifying. 
They're basically setting up that the state can take away your kids if you do not raise your kids to believe in left-wing bullshit. That is where we are going. So now, what's the next step? What about you know parents coming out and speaking out against critical race theory? Are they now going to say that those are unfit parents and take, and take away their kids, say, if you don't support critical race theory, you are abusing your kids? If you pull your kids out of the public school in order to homeschool them or provide them an alternative education, you know, private school, online schools, homeschool, how, how much down the road is it going to be before we get to the point where they start saying, if you don't send your kids to the public schools that the Democrats control, then that is child abuse. Think about the slippery slope that we are going down here. And of course, with the Democrats, every slippery slope ends up becoming the facts and reality of the situation. You know, uh, you know, it won't be that much longer before they say, if you vote Republican, then you are considered an abusive, unfit parent and they'll take your kids away. I mean, they're already saying that if you don't pump your kids full of a bunch of artificial hormones, that that's going to be child abuse and they're going to take away your kids. Are you shitting me? These people are corrupt and abuse of power. And so what have we found out here over the last five years? The news media is mostly fakes and frauds pushing propaganda. Fact checkers are a bunch of political hacks lying their asses off. The science community is full of a bunch of frauds because if they come out and say, you know, the scientific facts that don't agree with the left, their careers are targeted, they're... they're you know, financial security cut off, and they are basically kicked out of their entire profession. So the science community is bastardizing science to appease the left in order to save their own asses. And now we got the so-called medical community filled with a bunch of political hacks pretending to be doctors, trying to force left-wing ideology and trying to say that if you don't mutilate your own child, then you are engaged in child abuse. The, 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 right now, every institution that used to have credibility is gone. There is no credibility in these institutions whatsoever. They're filled with a bunch of radical ideologues trying to use the perceived credibility that their profession once had and abusing that to lie to the public and to basically destroy and mute, uh, the mental health of kids and mutilate their bodies. Are we just going to sit back and take it and accept it? No. And you know what? Republican governors should be basically coming out with laws that say, hey, no, no kid under the, no one, no child, no minor of any age can be placed on puberty blockers within this state. No, there is no, under no way, shape, or form is there transgender clinics for gender transitioning. No, we're going to work, we should be working on actual mental health for those suffering from gender dysphoria. <sighs> so sickening what is going on. I, it, but is it any wonder that is coming out of the left? The left, which has been on the wrong side of every issue in history. The left that has been involved in being behind every moral stain in American history. Is it any wonder that once again, they are engaged in what will go down in one of the biggest stains on American history? All right, so that's it uh, for this particular episode. I'd like to thank you for listening in. If this is your first time, don't forget to hit subscribe. Leave me a rating and a review. Thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.